Hey guys, welcome back to the Swish Woodlead Podcast. This episode is brought to you by our wonderful major sponsor, Swish, who are getting new sports stars on at a rapid pace. This week it was Anton Leonard Brown who joined the crew. Such a lad, and such a good lad, in fact, that he had a massive influence on today's guest, which was super cool to hear. But to get a Swish from Anton or any of the sporting legends on there, head to heyswish.com. Find the sports star you want your video message from, click on them, and then don't forget to add the code WHATALAD to get an extra 10% off. And just in a couple of days, you'll have your very own video message from them. But what is best is that up to 70% of these proceeds do go to Kiwi Kids Charities, so go get amongst it. I'll leave a link in the description so you can go get involved. Also, one of the great lads, Tim Bateman, has been offering a very exciting opportunity for anyone who is interested in their well-being. O Studio, which was started by Tim, is New Zealand's largest wellness and recovery space, and now there's an opportunity for you to own your very own. Tim is incredibly switched on when it comes to this stuff, and he is such a lad. So having him guide you through this process of setting up your own business would be priceless. Add to that the fact that the wellness space is the second fastest growing industry in the world. This is an awesome opportunity for any lad here in New Zealand or around the world. If you're interested, click on the link in the description to get in touch. Anyway, awesome episode for you in this one. Let's get to it. What a lad. Well, I've had plenty of requests from all of you to hear from some other champion lads from other sports. So here I have an absolute treat for you. Today's guest is currently the best tennis player in the country. And at only 23 years old, he is the future of the game. He is an incredible talent. He also happens to be one of the best lads going around. So I'm really looking forward to this one. It is the lad himself, Ajit Rai. Welcome, lad. Mate, those are the most compliments I've ever had in like the space of, of 20 seconds. I feel pretty good. <laughs> Appreciate you for having me on, bro. Mate, you're a lad and I'm um, looking forward to hearing a little bit more about the tennis game, um, something that I've followed but and played casually but never really known the ins and outs of the game. But um, who better than yourself to give us the rundown? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a journey, that's for sure. Um, yeah, I'm just excited to kind of share my journey um with you and i think uh kind of dig deep and in, into what it's really like on tour not just the glitz and the glam of traveling to different countries and you know it's there's yeah. a lot more that goes into it than uh just the tennis match itself yeah from a distance it looks like the sort of dream lifestyle eh? you get to travel the world you get to play in these hissing tournaments but i could imagine after a while that can get um pretty old and um, some of the tournaments, especially I guess where you're at at the moment, the grind to get up to these um, big tournaments, it must be pretty tough. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think people realize that you lose more than you win every year. So <laughs> it's it's like losing in a country and then traveling to another country <laughs> is like, you know, even if, even if you win, it's great. But, you know, the kind of thing I realize is you only have like four or five hours to enjoy your win and then refocus for the next match, which is the next morning. Yeah. So it's the highs are awesome, but they don't last very long. So yeah. you got to quickly switch around and, you know, do your recovery and get ready for the next match um, next morning. But um, I'm very grateful to be able to do what I do, but it's, it's, it's a challenge. And just when you think you're starting to figure things out, a new challenge comes your way. So it's, um, it's, it's exciting, to be honest. So, yeah. Mate, it's awesome. Looking forward to hearing a little bit more. And I'm keen to hear it from the start as well. So obviously, um, to get into tennis and be good at tennis, I'm guessing you have to get into it pretty young. Um, how did it all start for you? Yeah, so I was around probably three years old when <laughs> my old man put a tennis racket into my hand. Um, he's a, So my dad's a tennis coach oh, yeah. and um, he uh, you know, used to take me down to the tennis courts and stuff. I played all sports growing up except rugby because I'm Indian. um and skinny so it doesn't doesn't really work um but i i played you know soccer golf cricket did the triathlons all of that stuff tried to play basketball but that didn't end well um but yeah from a young age he just put a tennis racket in my hand and it was kind of the way i got to spend time with him um Mm -hmm. my brother was a really good tennis player as well he's six years older and it was just a way of spending time with my you know my older brother and my dad uh, mum and sister not into it at all. I don't even think mum mum doesn't even watch me play. If she watches me, 
you know, in New Zealand, it's on TV. She doesn't watch any of my matches. She like gets stressed and, you know, <laughs> so she doesn't watch it at all. But yeah, it was just kind of a connection to my dad. So at three years old, started playing. And then at six years old, my dad started taking me to Australia to a coach called Peter McCraw, who had, uh, he was the coach at Boletary Academy. He was the head coach there, coach Maria Sharapova. And mm. he took me over there and my dad and Peter kind of developed me. And every six weeks, I'll go to Australia for two weeks to see him. And this is at like six years old. So oh, really? that's crazy. Yeah, it's very young. Um, and then, you know, at eight years old, nine, started playing the nationals and stuff like that and just started enjoying it more and more. But um, yeah, it was more just a way to spend time with my dad because he was, of course, my coach and he was always at the courts from three o'clock, you know, after school till mm. eight o'clock in the evening. So I just wanted to go down there and hit tennis balls and just ended up getting better and better at it. I mean, it's uh, there would be something wrong if I wasn't getting better and better at it, spending the whole day at the tennis court. <laughs> yeah. So at a young age, it was just like just a great feeling to be on tennis court. And I honestly haven't lost that feeling since. So even now, if I go to the courts, I feel like I'm a five-year-old kid just going to the tennis courts. I love it. So, mm. um, you know, like a lot of people have asked me, do you still enjoy it? And, you know, my mum and dad have said to me, as soon as you stop enjoying it, we want you to stop. We don't want you to keep playing if you don't enjoy it. and yeah i just love it bro so that's kind of how it all started for me and still went to school and whatnot um and then went to new plymouth boys high and kind of started doing more homeschool and that type of thing there i think my attendance for one year because i was traveling was like three days so um yeah they they actually brought it up when i went back there like a year ago and they're like you know your attendance was three days for one year like that's (laughs) Without getting like suspended or expelled, that's the lowest attendance we've ever had. I'm um, like, yeah, and those three days were the days like we would have tennis matches. So yeah. <laughs> I would just turn up to play those. But I was just, you know, in juniors, I traveled f- for like Australian Open and Junior Wimbledon and Junior US Open. So um, I was just, it, there's never, the season never really ends in tennis. It's like mm. it goes from January all the way through to December. But you can pick and choose when you play, but. You know, you just got to keep playing. Otherwise, the rest of the competition keeps going. Yeah. So, so what uh, age are those um, junior opens? What age can you start? Under 18s. Oh, yeah. Under so 18. You can so be you, any age. you got to be 13. Um, so it's 13 to 18. So I won my first doubles when I was 14. My first uh, under 18s title international when I was 14, which was quite young. Sorry. And then I won my first singles um, when I was 15 or 16. I won my first singles title um, in Hamilton, out of all places. Oh, <laughs> it was in Hamilton, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's where it all came about. And then I did well at juniors. I was maybe ranked like 50 or 60 in the world, um, under 18s, and then started kicking on to play internationally. Men's. So were you clearly dominant in the New Zealand age groups? Because obviously New Zealand's probably not a – well-renowned tennis country, are we? So were you like clearly the best in the country? I don't want to say like clear. We, we had a lot of good players. We had a lot of good players. Um, yeah. But yeah, I I think um, there was, you know, myself and a couple others who played on the world stage and internationally. And I was fortunate enough to get my ranking up to number one from 12s, 14s, 16s, 18s and men's. So mm. Um, yeah, New Zealand, we're lucky we have guys like Mike Venus and Marcus Daniel and Ruben Statham and Artem Seatek, guys who have put, you know, New Zealand on the map. We also do have Cameron Norrie, who's a Kiwi and he's been top 10 in the world. Um, and Ben McLaughlin. So we've actually, there is a lot of players in New Zealand who have been pretty dominant in the world, but they play for a different flag. <laughs> so <laughs> they, they change, they, they jump shit. Um, but they're Kiwis in my books. So, do they have to jump ship? Why? Why are they? Why do they jump ship like that? Um, without getting in trouble. Um, it's just funding. They just get funding. Other countries have more money, and they just get funding. Yeah. Um, from other countries and more opportunity. So, you know, mm. if you're gonna get wild cards into Wimbledon, you would jump ship. You know, like it's gonna jump start. It's gonna give you a huge boost and at a young age if you can get those wild cards it's massive mm. is it something you've looked into or think are thinking about doing do you have to do it 
Personally, no, because I grew up in Taranaki and I just feel everything I know is Taranaki in New Zealand and I don't think any one of my mates would ever talk to me again if I did. So I just personally wouldn't uh, wouldn't do it. I'm, you know, patriotic, so about where I come from. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't think I ever would, but everyone has their own choice and they do what's best for them. Mm, that's cool. So you were you were born in New Plymouth. Were your parent, where were your parents from? So mum and dad, both Indian. Dad was actually yep. born in Africa, in Uganda, out of all places. Oh, yeah. um, so that's actually where I went to play my first international tournament when I was 18. And oh, yeah. uh, he actually got 10 times more attention than I did there. Like It was like <laughs> some hero had returned. Like, the, mate, my dad was just lapping it up. Eh? He's like, he would be in the hotel and he'll be like, warm up. I'll be like, have a match at 11. I'll be like, warm up at 10 because, you know, you go to play in the warm ups. Oh, we'll have to make it nine because I've got an interview at 10. I'm like, what do you have an interview for? It's like, yeah, they, they're, they're welcoming home, you know. I'm coming back to my roots. <laughs> All right, mate, you do you. Um, and then, yeah, I was born in uh, New Plymouth and my brother and sister were born in Stratford. So, yeah, I'm a Taranaki man. Nice. So, was your dad a tennis player? or He was a tennis player, but then when he wanted to turn pro, it's such a financially expensive sport. My grandfather was like, no, go to uni. So my dad became an accountant and mum's a psychologist and just had to go study. Whereas when I had the same opportunity, I was fortunate enough that my parents backed me and, you know, they haven't really looked back since. So I've been pretty lucky. Yeah, that's awesome. So when you mentioned like you'd hardly attended school because all these tournaments. So what was was your like teenage years like? Obviously... Um, you've got tournaments. You're pretty. You're pretty flat out. You're probably training twenty four seven. Yeah, it was at the time. I struggled with that part a lot because being in Taranaki, it's not very tennis environment. It's not a high performance, you know, for tennis environment. New Zealand, it's it's tough in New Zealand to find that environment. So you know, I didn't have a drop of alcohol till I was you know twenty twenty one years old. I didn't really go to parties. I didn't really do any of that. It was train in the morning, go to school. My dad would pick me up at lunch, train at lunch and train after school. So it was literally just full on all the time. Um, I'm, I look back at it now and I'm very grateful, but it was also very, very tough at the time. So uh, you don't have much of a childhood, but it's a sacrifice you've got to make. And I didn't really understand it at the time, but yeah. I'm grateful for it now. So did you have much of a like, did you have many friends and stuff, or was it hard to sort of keep on top, keep in touch with friends and stuff? Ah, I, I mean, yeah, I have a pretty tight unit. Like my best mate is a guy from Taranaki. His name's Cole Harib, um, and he's been my best mate since I was, you know, like two or three years old. Um, and you know, I have my close mates who I play golf with, and I get along with really well. But you know, you're your best mate's kind it's a lonely sport, man, tennis. Like you're traveling by yourself or a lot of the time you win, you lose, you're, you're by yourself or like your best friend literally is yourself. As sad as that sounds, you got to be okay with being a loner. Mm. Like that's, that's kind of how it is. So, you know, I, you know, I, I love being around my mates, but I also don't mind being by my, by myself either. Yeah. So yeah, it's, uh, you, it's, that's the tough part. Like, when we go away for Davis Cup and stuff, it's such a sick week because you're around like a bunch of guys who all have the same goal. Whereas even at tournaments, you know, you have a bunch of mates, like all my closest mates are on tour, but you're trying to beat each other and then you have to be okay with having dinner with each other. It's like, you know, you're, you're kind of like stealing money from the other guy. So it's, it's a bit, it's a bit, it's a weird one, but you just got to kind of have that boundary of being a tennis player and being a person. Mm, interesting and you, by all accounts I've heard a yarn around you uh, burning down one of your mates house so I'm sure that didn't help you uh, friends friends base grow <laughs> give me the yarn on this one oh, forward to this one the worst thing is so it's uh, one of my best mates his dad is actually my sponsor so he's <laughs> been my financial sponsor for like a long time and uh, so it's like the parents sit us down and they're like, look, we're going away to Taupo, um, to our batch or whatever. Um, 
we don't want you guys having a party or anything. No one's really allowed at the house because their house is like prime real estate right on the beach. Right. It looks over the ocean. It's like a mint house. Like it's got a deck. It's got everything. The surfboards, like it's it's very, very nice. So as soon as they leave, I look at my best mate. I won't name who. And I'm like, sweet. So we're having like, he's like, we're having a party, right? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like they've told us not to. So we're doing it. So, you know, just a few people come around and we're out. All my mates are surfing. I'm in, I'm in the barrel with my boogie board and my flippers because I can't <laughs> surf and uh, just enjoy myself. And um, then they're like, having, you know, they're smoking darts and stuff afterwards. Not me because, you know, I'm meant to be the athlete yeah. and whatnot. So I'm like kind of looking after the house. I'm like, sweet, I'll lock up all of this stuff. And then there were some outdoor lounge like chairs, you know, the ones that are like, uh, like the outdoor furniture. Yeah, yeah. And they're smoking and they're like throwing cigarettes in a box of beers like putting them out and throwing them mm. okay sweet like and then a couple must have fell through the cracks off the deck and they go to town and i've like wanted everyone to leave i quickly dropped them at town because the aussie open finals on so i go back to my house to watch the aussie open final <laughs> and then and then and then about like two hours later one of my other mates who lives on the road messages me and he's like hey, there's eight fire engines outside this, your other mate's house. And I'm like, nah, you're taking the piss. Yeah. Like I left there like two hours ago. Like we're mid in the third set. Djokovic is about to break. Like I'm not leaving. <laughs> like this is like, I'm parked up for the night. I'm good. So then he, I'm like, send me a photo because I'm like, this is, you're yarning. Yeah. Sends me a photo. There's eight fire engines. So I quickly wake up my old man and I'm like, the because he's good friends also with my best mate's dad. Yeah. So I'm like, I need, if this is true, I need protection because otherwise- I've lost my funding. I've lost everything. Like I'm basically going to be homeless. And um, we go over there. There's eight fire engines. And uh, my best mate, he's running back from town, like not in the best state of mind. He's just sprinting back from town. And um, we go down. The whole deck is just gone. Oh. It's gone. So the, uh, there was a fire underneath the deck and it hit the barbecue and exploded at four in the morning. And the whole house caught on fire and the double glazing windows, the first glazing like cracked and then the second glazing and the whole deck is gone. And me and I mean, he comes up, he's like, what a great night though, huh? What a great <laughs> night. I was like, are you joking, mate? You just burnt down your house. Like, this is unbelievable. So the parents, um, I mean, they got insurance. So technically, you know, it's, it's actually good. They should be thanking us. They've got an unreal house now and it's all, it's all well and good, but yeah, it's fair to say we weren't allowed back of the house for a wee while <laughs> after that. Uh, they they handled it pretty well, but I mean, like when people say like, don't burn the house down and then you actually do burn a house down, it's like, yeah, that was probably one of the worst moments. Um, yeah, that was pretty bad. Oh, I could imagine that feeling when you <laughs> see the house on fire, just feeling sick. Yeah. I was just like, what's the ch- what are the chances of what are the chances of that actually happening? It was yeah, it was it was a nightmare, bro. It was it was not good. Oh, but you've still got your funding. Yeah, I'm still I'm still I'm still back somehow. Uh, nah, he's a legend. He's just very close. Like he's like another dad to me. Um, and I'm just lucky I have support like that because tennis is an expensive sport. Yeah. And um, it's, you definitely got to have money to play it. Otherwise, it just it's too hard, you know. Mm. Um, you get injured, you don't have income. That's how it is, mm. you know. Whereas I look at some of the other sports and guys get injured and they still get income. It's like, man, I'd be rolling an ankle every second week. <laughs> I'd be parking up on the sideline. <laughs> okay. But uh, yeah, it is, it, is, it is what it is. Yeah. Oh, true. So when did you think that um, you could potentially go pro at this game? So I was 19 and I went on to like, the eight, it's like the ATP tour. So it's the senior tour where you get ATP points and there's the futures challenges and the grand slams and all of that. So this is like, you know, the futures, which is pretty big tournaments. It's kind of like you need to, if you can't, you know, you need to start winning those to even get to grand slams and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like pro tour, pro events. Yeah. And I went when I was 18 and played two of them or 19 in, in Thailand. And first week I lost first round and I was like, okay, I played all right. And then the next week, you know, I was playing number one seed. He was about 200 in the world or 210 in the world. Ended up beating him and ended up winning that tournament just out of nowhere. Like I got a wild card into the tournament, ended up winning it. And at that point I was kind of like, I I never even dreamed of, 
you know, New Zealand was kind of when you're number one in New Zealand or you're trying to be number I wasn't even number one at that time. I don't even think I was top five or six. I was um and then I won that tournament. I was like, man, I should give this like a go. And my parents were like, you know, this is unreal. And probably the most unreal thing there was is I was with my dad and like, you know, you do everything with your dad. You do a lot of hours with your dad. You're six AM six AM on court with him. You you know, man, the amount of fights me and my dad have had, and then my mum has to mediate, and you know, like he, like we would have some brutal fights on tour. I mean, it's tough to separate the two. Yeah. Um, and to have him there and win my first international title, that was awesome. So that's when I decided, like, man, I'm going to give this a give this a crack, and it's you know, I just want to go all the way. I want to be top hundred, top fifty, top ten, world number one. I want to do it all. So, mm. um, that's my goal, and I think playing pro, you shouldn't. Well, not shouldn't, but I don't even know what's the point playing if you don't have those goals to be world number one. Yeah. you got to aim for the top. 100%. Love that. So when you were 19 years old playing against the number one seed in the competition, did we, how, do, how do you feel going into that game? Do you feel confident or are you like, shit, I'm going to get pumped here? I just had no fear. I mean, all those matches, like playing at the ASB Classic, playing, you know, um, all these matches when I was – younger i was just like i don't want to lose love and love yeah i just like i want my mum to check the score and know i've got two or three games like i want her to like don't say come back you're going to school or going to uni like i was just like put on a good show like um but then at 19 i got the call up for davis cup which was probably the most unbelievable feeling like i was in my room and in jakarta about to play uh quarterfinals there so i was doing well that week Mm -hmm. uh qualified and beat two really good players and the Davis Cup captain calls me. He's like, we want you on the Davis Cup team. And I remember my brother was traveling with me that week. And I called my mum. And mum was like, nah, you're joking. You wouldn't make the Davis Cup team. And I was like, well, <laughs> I got the call. Like, I don't like, I'm pr- like, it was the most exciting time of my of my career because, you know, Davis Cup, you watch it. That's as a tennis player. Uh, maybe people who don't play tennis won't appreciate it. But it's like being an all black yeah. for rugby players. Mm. It's, that's the pinnacle for someone growing up in New Zealand and then playing Grand Slams. And, you know, we get to Korea and I'm sitting in the changing room and I got the call up to play doubles because Marcus hurt his back. And I was just there like, you know, I the, I was the hitting partner. So I was like kind of on holiday. I was kind of enjoying myself. Yeah. Like tennis museum were paying. I was kind of eating well, you know, enjoying <laughs> myself. And then the coaches, you know, they, they came up to my room to come tell me I was selected and I had like a frappuccino from Starbucks and like a custard bun. <laughs> and they had told me at the start of the week, like they're going to be watching what I eat and my professionalism. And I have this like massive thing with caramel on it. And I'm like, so excited. I'm going to my room, go watch the Netflix. Like the boys can play their matches. And I get out of the elevator and one of them's like, you're meant to be playing tomorrow, but now we're reconsidering the selection and I might play. And this is the coach oh, saying this. Right. He's like, I might have to step in. I was like, you can have that. You can have that. It's all good. Sorry. Never going to happen again. <laughs> and um, the next day I'm sitting in the changing room and there's Marcus Daniel, Michael Venus, Artem Sitek, Ruben Statham. And I was like, kind of being like a deja vu because when I was eight years old, I was their ball kid. Oh, true. And I was sitting in the changing room asking them for autographs. Yeah. And I'm like, Either this is really exciting for me or you guys are extremely old. Like, how old are you guys? And they were like pretty offended by it. But I was like, this is weird. Like, I'm, I was eight years old and now I'm playing with you guys as a team and you're on the sideline and you have these guys supporting you. And yeah. it's like, that's kind of, that's the exciting thing about tennis is you can really like, um, you can improve quick and get results, like some really sick results pretty quick, but also like the hard work when you focus on the hard work and it pays off it's so rewarding so how's doubles how's doubles compared to singles is that like is that a hard adjustment i i play pretty good doubles like i've won maybe like nine international titles men's on the doubles side but i don't enjoy it as much as singles but it's freakish like the reflexes and you know, you have small targets to hit into. It's like, yeah. like Mike and those guys, when they're like volleying with you, you just need a helmet. Like they <laughs> just want to take your head off, you know? Like I, I just like, it's, it's just a different game. I mean, I, 
with all due respect, I wouldn't say you need as much fitness playing doubles. It's not as brutal as singles. Clearly, you're only covering half the court. But there's also a lot of thinking involved. I mean, there's not many rallies in doubles because it's all about pre-established tactics and that type of stuff. So it's tough. I find it really tough, doubles. So when you're called into that doubles team late, is that really hard to just jump in there and play with someone you haven't really played with before? Oh, I missed my first 13 returns. <laughs> I didn't hit a ball. I was hitting the back fence and the coach is looking at me, like scratching his head and looking at the manager. They're like, they've made a mistake here. Like, I honestly was so excited. I like, because we're playing against like, we're playing against like two guys who are top 100 in the world. Yeah. Like they were playing Aussie Open and they see this like little skinny Indian kid come in. They're like, yeah, boys, here we go. That's 2-1 up. Like, it's easy dub. And... I go in there and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to like hit laser beams. I'm going to show these guys like who who I am. Like, I come out there hitting like cover drives to the back fence. Like, it was so bad. And like, I look over the side and everyone's just like scratching their heads. They're like, this is real ugly. I'm so happy it wasn't televised. And um, we ended up actually winning. I like actually ended up playing real well. And like, Artem Sitek was unbelievable with me. Like, when I was missing, he's like, Ah, it's all good. I was like, well, it's actually not. <laughs> like, this is really bad. I'm sorry. But we actually ended up winning and playing, like, really, really well. And those guys, it just shows, like, Mike and Ruben and Artem and Marcus. Like, it's not about the tennis, but the leaders they are as people. Like, that shows and shows me what I need to aim towards. It's not just about me becoming a better tennis player but also helping the next generation coming up and inspiring and the next generation coming up and i'm lucky to have people around me that uh you know mentor me and help me out and stuff like that and you mentioned a little bit of court banter um there is that quite common are guys usually um giving you a little bit of lip oh brutal like man there was this argentinian dude last year i won't name him but anyone if any of my mates are listening they know exactly who it is and like this happens a lot like i'm also like if anyone i'm not going to say i'm i get into it like i love like getting into it on court as well and i'm playing this guy he's like 200 in the world he's a great player very good player like he's won a lot of big tournaments this year and i'm like six five up in the third set i played a good first set lost the second set six five up and i walk past him and he's like says something about my mum, like about my mum, like he keeps saying it. And I'm like, I looked at him and I'm like, what did you say? He's like, I said, you're playing really well. <laughs> so he like, cause the umpire like that, like, man, these guys just, they get so personal. Yeah. Like I was playing in New Zealand here and like a guy starts saying like at Davis cup, like go back to your own country. I'm like, oh, true. well, I've got New Zealand on my back. Like, <laughs> I, I honestly, I like, yeah. And like, even last year, like guys would say like, go back to your own country and stuff. I'm like, honestly, I do, but quarantine. Like, I want to go back home. Like, I really do. Like, you're not wrong. But guys just, I mean, they'll do anything to win. Well, we all will. But yeah, I mean, guys will take like, you'll be serving for the match and they'll take a medical timeout. They'll say, oh, my knee's hurting. I need three minutes treatment. Yeah. So then they break your rhythm. It'll be like, Five, four up, they'll be like, oh, I need to go toilet. Sorry, mate. <laughs> Got to go. Right. They'll just walk off the court. You know, they'll start like, it's such a mental game. But like, probably the only thing I do is like, if someone's playing really well, I just let them know they're playing really well. I'm like, mate, you're serving unbelievable. Mm. This is such good tennis. And then they start thinking they're playing like good tennis. <laughs> so then they're like, start over, you know, analyzing it. But I mean, it's, that's the part I'm, I've learned to enjoy. It's yeah. like the mental battles you have with people on the court. Like, mm. You look for anything. Like if, you know, I remember I used to say when I was a kid, when I'd miss a forehand, I'm like, I couldn't hit a forehand. Like imagine how dumb that is telling your opponent you can't hit a forehand. Like, like how absurd is that? Like imagine playing someone and they're like, I can't hit a forehand. What are they going to do? Yeah. They're literally just going to feed you balls to your forehand. Like, so like this part of tennis I'm starting to enjoy and I've learned to enjoy. I never did, but I've learned to enjoy it. And now I just love going in for a battle and I love like coming out of it and being like man i left it all out there that's the you know just applying yourself and giving it your all so when do you say that stuff is it when you're switching ends or do you just call it out after a good serve you just yeah i mean a lot of the guys say it because the umpire can't hear it because they're finding people left right and center like it's hundred dollar fine five hundred dollar fine like they just find you like crazy like you can't even say the f word on court anymore you get fined because everything's mic'd up and then 
you know, you go to a club rugby game and you hear these guys like some of the stuff they say. It's like, man, I would be like done for 12 months if I said some of that stuff, you know. So, uh, you just got to be very careful. And I wouldn't, I mean, just play tennis. I'd advise just to play tennis. But mm. when you're playing especially like, you know, countries, say, oh, say like the South Americans, they, you know, they're ballers and they will do anything to win. Like, they will fake an injury. And then when you think they're going to retire, they'll come to the net to shake hands like they're going to retire. They'll like do a U-turn, go back, and they'll play unbelievable. <laughs> so, yeah, it's like it's just mentally like sometimes it's just draining. Yeah, it's just draining. Mate, it is such a mental game, though, isn't it? So, how much do you how much time do you spend on like the mental side of the game, or is it something you find quite hard to sort of train? No, that's one thing, you know, I used to train so much physically and so much on my tennis and I got to a level where I just felt like last year I was at a standstill and just couldn't improve. And then from December, I started working full-time with a psychologist and um, that has helped me incredibly. I'm working with him every day, talking to him every day, whether it's good or bad. Mm. And I've benefited a lot from it um i'm lucky to have people around me again who help me a lot with the mental side and people i can lean on and other athletes i can lean on and yeah i think it's very important to have a good support team also because as much as it is an individual sport you got to have people around you that can help you mm-hmm. you know what sort of stuff do you guys talk about or what sort of um tips does he give you uh more focusing like say on the process on things i can control that's probably been the biggest thing for me is focusing on stuff i can control i'm very uh if anyone knows me, i'm a massive overthinker and you know i try to control things i can't control like i used to go into matches what if i lose what if this happens what if that happens Mm. what's my dad gonna think if i lose what what about sponsors what that's just irrelevant and it got to a point in december january where i was like this is just draining Mm. like it's super draining to think like that and I just ended up changing it into, you know, having my processes, what I can focus on and what I can control. And I'm a much happier person and I enjoy my tennis and tennis is now what I do, not who I am. Mm. So um, I'm pretty lucky. I guess I figured that out a bit earlier, but I did wish I figured it out when I was, you know, 16 playing in Taranaki Club <laughs> Champs and not freaking out about <laughs> whose name was going to go on the honors board. <laughs> so, yeah. Mate, I love that. So when, you're, so when you're going into a tournament or like heading into that game, what, what are your nerves like? Are you, would you be for your first serve of the match? Are you, are you nervous? Are you shaky? Or are you always usually pretty confident? Horrendous. I mean, I'm confident in myself. I, I feel I'm a confident yeah. person, but I'm, I normally struggle to sleep the night before. I normally get pretty broken sleep. Um, and then during the match, I'm fine. But it's like before the match, the build up, it's like your stomach is like twisting and turning and you can't stop moving. And, you know, you're playing music and you're trying to calm yourself down. I remember playing my like first Davis Cup match a couple mm. years ago in New Zealand. I was playing at the ASB Center. It's the first time like my mum's watched me play in a long time. So I'm like, man, I wanted to think I'm good. Like she's like, I wanted to think I'm like, I don't really <laughs> care about anyone else, but my mum, I want her to be like, yeah, my son's a beast. Like this is pretty cool. And I remember the warm-up, I was like, has someone like put this net up a foot or two? Like the net felt so high. Like I missed like the first six or seven balls in the net. And I'm just like, okay, this is not good. Like <laughs> this isn't good. But I ended up playing pretty well and whatever. But nerves, man, like since yeah. I've started, like I start doing sprints and stuff before, which I swear and get my heart rate up. But it's just because I care so much. Um, but nerves... Yeah, nerves are just, I learned to enjoy them. Like I've come back for the last couple of weeks in New Zealand and, you know, I was in Thailand and I played quite well there and going, you know, deep each week in the tournament. And um, I came back home and I thought I needed a rest and I got back home and I'm like, it's so boring. Like, it's so boring not competing. Like I want that excitement of like, will you win? Will you lose? Like, living on the edge, figuring out a plan for a different player each day, like analyzing their game, like waking up in the morning, not knowing if you're going to play good or bad, but like managing what you got on the day, you know, like that's the exciting part about tennis is it's not consistent. It's like something different each day. You mentioned analyzing there. How much analyzing do you have to do? My coach does it most of the time. 
Um, so like when I grew up playing tennis, people would ask me tactics. I honestly just saw where a person wasn't and hit the ball into that corner. <laughs> yeah. Like it was pretty simple. But now you see like different swing lines. A guy might have a more extreme grip, so he can't hit a, hit a certain shot. Guys play further behind the baseline, so you need to cut the angles off and make the court smaller for them. You got to put pressure on their game so they feel a different way. So there's so much like, mm. you know, there's different tactics for each player. You play a lefty one day, you play a righty next day. The next day, someone's six foot four and has a big serve. The next day, someone's five foot three and runs at the back fence. Yeah. It's, you just got to like, it's got to be different every day. And I think that's the part people don't see is they see like the the match itself, but they don't see the tactics that are used and like they don't see how much planning goes into one match interesting and of one thing i've always wondered about you see the rallies or the warm-ups when you're both out on court um i always find that quite must be quite awkward because obviously you want to you're trying to like warm up the guy you're just trying to beat it seems weird to me but what's it actually like this is weird but i try to be like kind of nice to the guy in the warm-up because yeah. i don't want him to be like a dick during the match or i don't <laughs> want to have like a angry match but you can notice in the warm-up like if these guys, like a couple times, like a guy's had smashes, I've given him smashes, and he's just tried to like peg me. He's like trying to hit me off the smash. I'm, like, I'm literally giving you a smash. Like it's not even the match yet, you know? And it's like one time I was playing, like the umpire did the toss last year, and I was like, uh, heads. So I win the toss, and I'm like, I'll serve. And I'm like, oh, good luck, mate. He's like, yeah, you'll need it. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, okay, I, I think I will. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Cheers, appreciate that. So you like, I mean, the warm, it's not really awkward and you know most of the guys on tour you're yeah. playing against now. So yeah. like you're pretty good mates with them and you practice with them. Like there's a lot of times that the draw's not, because the draw comes out on say Sunday. So on Sunday morning, I practice with this guy, the draw comes out, you're playing in the next day. Yeah. So you just practice with him. It's like, it is, it is awkward, but it also, it is what it is. Yeah. That's the, that's the tough thing about an individual sport. It's not like in a team sport where you can warm up with your team or, you know, like imagine a soccer team going and having passes to each other before (laughs) they played match. Like that'd be so random. But in tennis, I guess that's just how it is. Yeah, interesting. And uh, you've spoken a little bit about the travel and how much travel you get to do or have to do. Um, Who organizes that? Have you got like a manager or is that what your coach does or how much of it falls on you? Oh, nothing. I'm pretty lucky I have people around (laughs) me there. Like I tried to book a flight. Um to train from New Plymouth to Auckland and I'm like to my parents I'm like yeah I'm going to Auckland like I'm going to train my flight's at 6 30 and my mum travels a lot for work yeah. she's like there's not a 6 30 flight leaving from New Plymouth to Auckland I'm like yeah there is like drop me at the airport I'm good and I get there and I go to check in and it says I actually booked the flight from Auckland to New Plymouth not New Plymouth <laughs> to Auckland so this is a domestic ticket like I can't even organize that so uh now I'm pretty lucky I have people around me that sort all that stuff out in my travel and whatnot and they who travels with you so sometimes I might travel with a coach and stuff. My dad used to travel with me all the time. My dad yeah. was my, he, he's been my coach. He developed me the whole, uh, the whole thing. So he traveled me a lot, but, um, from last year, you know, he's, he's back home with mum. I think he's a bit ha- happier traveling, not traveling with me anymore. <laughs> um, and yeah, I travel by myself a lot. You meet up with players and stuff at other tournaments, but I'll start to travel with a coach and stuff like that and just makes it easier. Mm. So who's your, who, have you got a new coach now or is your old man still? yeah no so i'm working with a coach and i mean my dad's always going to be my coach he's always gonna he calls the shots he's you know the big baller shot caller type of guy so um he calls everything from home but uh my coach right now is a guy called christian grow he's in um san diego and he's coached tommy haas he's coached gregor dimitrov taylor fritz quarter um got asked to work with like Djokovic. he's you know worked with the best coaches and he's old school german like he is one of the toughest guys to be on court with um like we'll be warming up in the morning and you know you're just warming up for like 10 minutes but it's like intense like not missing mm. and i'll miss like the first ball he's like he'll stop you like are you okay today what's going on this is like the first ball i'll miss it what's going on he's like if you're gonna miss like that and you're gonna if you're gonna act like this you can just get off the court <laughs> i'm like okay sorry man so <laughs> I like wake up more nervous to train with him than actually play a match because I'm like, man, if this guy, when he's angry, he's like tough, but it's exactly what I need right now too. You know, like he's very intense. He's such a clever coach. He's just very, very good. That's cool. So, so what's the plans for you um, for this season, for this year? Um, 
So I'm going to go to San Diego and play three more big tournaments there, like the Futures Province. And then I'm trying to get my ranking, you know, to like 400s, 500s by the end of the year so I can start playing like challenges. Mm. Um, and then from next year, hopefully, I can keep just dragging my ranking down to where I can be playing qualifying on Grand Slams. And um, that's the goal. Like my ranking dropped a lot in the last tours, uh, last tour in Thailand, which I was very excited about. Um, and when you have that feeling of it dropping, um, you just don't want to stop. You want to yeah. keep it rolling. It's exciting, like seeing that ranking change over and seeing you're just like, yes, like, that's mm. that's pretty cool. Yeah. How much did COVID affect you and um, your ranking and things like that? My golf got pretty good. <laughs> I started playing Unreal, actually. Um, but tennis-wise, yeah, not ideal. I was just stuck here in New Zealand and like um, we're well, lucky enough to have some tournaments and stuff, but it's not the same as international, you know, you, yeah. even – like uh, I was talking to a lot of uh, the people who mentor me around me and I was like, I just don't know. You don't have that plan or you don't have that hunger to train because what are you training for? Mm. Um, but of course, everyone was in a in a tough scenario. But I think in New Zealand, we were lucky. You know, as much as people say we were unlucky, like we were safe. And I think that's the biggest thing, you know. Um, mm. I think I've had COVID a couple of times, but the tournaments don't tell you because if they tell you you've got covid then they have to shut the tournament oh, so <laughs> i'd be like real sick and they'll be like yeah just yeah you haven't got covid but just stay in your room for a week just like <laughs> just stay in your room just don't come out <laughs> like, okay sweet no covid here <laughs> so um yeah it's uh covid sucked man but it is what it is again mm. i got to do some things that i didn't you know i played some summer soccer with my mates i was like fizzing for a tuesday afternoon it was like the most exciting time of my week and um like golf just played a lot of golf got pretty good mate love that not the worst yeah so you mentioned a little bit about trying to get into the grand slams and getting your ranking down to um that level what level do you have to be down to to start getting invited to the to the big ones around 200s so that i mean it looks like a huge gap but it's like winning two three big tournaments and you can start client getting dropping and dropping so it can happen pretty quick but you also have to play very, very well. Um, so it's like getting entry. So my ranking now can get me entry into the a bit bigger tournaments and gets, you know, to the bigger tournaments where I can play and there's more points on offer. So it's just about constantly improving. And again, it's, you can focus on rankings and stuff, but I just try to focus as much as I can. Like they're my goals, but on my processes and yeah. stuff I can control. Do the rankings change every game, every tournament? How often do the rankings change? Every two weeks. Is it? Oh, yeah. Every two weeks, yeah. So, like, if I made semifinals, then in two weeks' time, the new rankings would come out. Mm. So, um, you also, your rankings, you have to defend what you had. The, so, say this today, if I made semifinals last year, and this year I'm not playing, I would lose those points from that tournament because you have to defend it every year. Whereas in golf, it's two years, I think. So, in tennis, it's every year. So, it's also about having consistency. You could have a great year. And then in December, you're sitting there like, okay, I could have back it up. Because mm. if you don't back it up, you're back to square one. Yeah. So, Ruthless. yeah, it's not not great. <laughs> so, what about in sort of like a five year, five year goal? What what's where do you see yourself in sort of five years in the tennis world? In five years, I want to see myself inside the top hundred. Yeah. That's where I want to see myself. I want to see myself consistently playing Grand Slams. Um, or if not, um, I'll be working at Maryland supermarket in New Plymouth. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that's where I hope to see myself in five years. I mean, I'm putting in the work and I think the last two years is tougher to it as it is for me to say is the years I've consistently put in the correct work. Mm. Um, I used to think I was working hard and doing the right work, but I didn't understand what correct work was. So now I feel like I'm doing the right things on and off the court and holding myself accountable for the little things off court. Mm. So um, I think I've got giving, I'm giving myself the best opportunity. I love that. So what's the sort of dream age? What's the peak age traditionally for a tennis player? What age do people feel like they're peaking? Well, in my head, when I started playing, I thought I was going to be like living it up when I was 13, but <laughs> that didn't exactly happen. Um I think around 26, 27, because yeah. I, I think that's, you know, when you fully develop 
not just physically but mentally mm-hmm. and is tennis is such a mental sport like you have to be so rock solid in the head and you got to be a little bit like insane mm. you got to be like like you got to be different you know you have to you have to be yeah like you have to, all those top guys are just like you know they're a little bit insane yeah like even like Djokovic and stuff the way he is with things and like he only like he never wears shoes like he goes out to dinners and stuff barefoot because <laughs> he wants to connect himself to the earth i'm like man i'll just wear my like shoes like i'm good you know i'll i'd rather not walk around barefoot but um all these guys man they're just they have their things and you just got to put in the work every day mm. and i think that's that's what it is so um yeah i think yeah, just gotta just gotta put in the work. It's not rocket science, though. At the end of the day, yeah. I'm guessing it's a massive sport for superstitions. You mentioned Djokovic going out and bare feet, but I'd imagine yeah. there's heaps of superstitions within the sport. Have you got many? This is real weird, but I used to have this thing like in a warm up. I would say in my head, if I don't hit the shot over the net, I'm not going to win. <laughs> so if I like missed it, I would like start freaking out and have like a panic. So I'd have to like redo the shot. <laughs> um i don't walk on lines after the points finished i like if you ever see me i don't walk on a line um i have i have some random ones but they're also real weird so i don't really want to bring them up (laughs) but there's some real out the gate ones like i used to have to wear like the same hat if i won a match oh yeah but then it got tough like washing the same hat or even (laughs) not even washing it (laughs) so um I mean, you. there's some guys with random superstitions. Like, there was this guy I played, and he wrote, like, every match, he would write his game plan, like, on his wrist. Yeah. So, I would, like, walk past him, and I'd be like, <laughs> what do you got on your wrist there? <laughs> like, there's, I mean, tennis players are just weird, I think, in general. We're a weird kind. <laughs> we're not normal. Honestly, we're not normal. Like, that's what I'm saying. Tennis players are a little bit insane. Like, you see on tour, some guys, like, I mean... This guy, Indian player, travels with a god and he puts a god on the side of his court. And like, you want to beat this guy, but then you walk past the god and you're like, hmm, like I don't really like, how do you beat that? That's just too good. You know, like you got god on your side here. <laughs> so I, I, I don't, you know, it's, there's, uh, there's, there's, yeah, tennis are weirdos, man. <laughs> They're just weird. <laughs> yeah. And you mentioned, uh, Working at Maryvale Supermarket, um, what are your plans life after tennis? Have you got much other than the supermarket dream? Um, Yeah, I mean, when I was young, I wanted to be like rubbish truck driver because of the things they used to pull. Like I used to think that was awesome. Um, But yeah, no, I want to do something with sales. Like I love talking to people and I love, you know, doing something. I mean, doing like podcasts and stuff, this... This type of stuff's awesome. I reckon it's sick. Um, but anything like that where I'm like interacting with people, I'll um, I'll really like to do that. Um, also, like helping the younger generation in some way. Um, I realize I don't know how to coach. I've tried helping a couple kids, and I'm pretty sure I made them worse. So I don't really know how to coach. But I wouldn't tennis. I wouldn't coach personally. I wouldn't coach tennis. Um, but yeah, like sales or something like that or just interacting with people and that type of thing would be pretty cool. Mate, you'd run an awesome podcast, I reckon. Would you reckon guys like um, Djokovic and Nadal and stuff would come on if you asked them? Yeah, but no one else would be able to talk. <laughs> I'd just be talking to myself and I'll just be like, at the end of the past, like, yeah, thanks for coming on. Cheers, appreciate it. <laughs> like no one else would be able to get a word in. So I just like, even if you see me playing, I like talk to myself. Yeah. The whole time, like people are probably like, is this guy got like someone else on the court or like I'm having like full on conversations with myself. I told you, I'm not lying with tennis are weirdos. We're not normal. What sort of stuff do you say to yourself? Oh, honestly, I just tell myself, like try to tell myself to like compete and fight and dig and like just try to like pump myself up with like positivity. Mm. Um, that's one of the things my psychologist worked on is like, what you say will take you closer to where you want to go. So like, you know, telling myself to like compete and fight and like be a, be a warrior out there is like what I try to tell myself now. Whereas 
when I was 12, I was like, you're so bad. Yeah, yeah, the opposite. <laughs> you're so yeah. bad. This is bad. That's bad. I'm going to miss this shot. And then you end up missing it and you're like, why am I missing it? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I just tell myself, I just try to be real positive. Mate, love that, mate. And exciting times, exciting times um, coming ahead for you. Looking forward to following it. But as always, we have gone to our Instagram for some questions and a few good knacky lads look like they've come in. Oh, here we go. Um, here, but the first question, got this one twice actually. Do you have any mentors or people who help guide you? Um, yep, so I'm pretty lucky. When I was very young, like Ruben um, Statham, like I lived on his couch for a year in Auckland. Um, and uh, I was real lucky actually to be around him because someone who I looked up to and seeing what he does and he's one guy that has just maximized everything out of his body and his abilities as a tennis player. Mm. He takes care of the little things and he's one guy that what you see on court is so clear what he does off court is, is beneficial for him. And, you know, like we'll be in the gym and we'll finish and I'm like, sweet, done, gym session, done. And he'll be in there for another 20 minutes doing something. It could be something little. It could be warming up, at the, you know, doing something for his forearms or something or his neck strength, like random. But he's just will always put in extra effort. And that's when I learned that, you know, guys like that, there's a reason they get to where they, where they are. Mm. Um, and then, you know, the rugby boys, I'm also lucky. Like recently, Dan um, has been helping me a lot. Who's, who's Dan? Um, Carter. Oh, Dan Carter, Dan, you're Dan, kidding. Dan, yeah. <laughs> no, I've been pretty lucky. Like I saw him at a, he was at this exhibition event we did and he was playing like the celebrity match and, he was like, I think, a bit nervous about playing it, and he he was actually pretty good. Um, he was actually really bad, but he was uh he played and you know he did his exhibition event. And then I saw him a few times at Next Gen, and he helped me out with a lot of things. And now if I have any questions and stuff I need help with around mindset, he helps me out a lot with it. And you know he's he's he doesn't sugarcoat anything. He just gives me the exactly what I need to do. And I'm lucky I have people like him and like Anton and, you know, Bowden's helped me a lot in the past. And I'm just happy I have guys like that around me who have made it. And especially in New Zealand where it's, I feel there's a lot of tall poppy around. Yeah. Um, and guys like that cop it, you know, if I think I have pressure, imagine missing a kick or dropping a ball with them for a test. You know, mm. Even I think they're horrible people after that. But, <laughs> um, you know, like having those guys around me, they're just, they're good people before, good athletes and that's what they've taught me is that tennis and myself they're two separate things mm. and they're just they help me like you know like big brothers type of thing they're just really good to me and i've just you know they kind of tell me what's coming around the corner before it even is there so i kind of know what to expect and you know i've made plenty of mistakes in in the past but i'm lucky i have you know people like them to hold me accountable like my older brother who's you know, like one person who I lean on a lot for support. Mm. And yeah, I just think it's um, it's pretty cool having people like that around you. How good's that? A couple of the rugby legs helping out New Zealand's best tennis player. Yeah, it. yeah it's cool. But that goes on to this next question, actually. Um, tell us a story about the first time you met Bodie. Um, so I was at ASB Classic. I think I was like 17. I was young and I was hitting with... Um, uh, John Isner, he got me to like hit with him for oh, the week yeah. through Prince sponsoring me. And um, I was hitting on like the outdoor court on ASB Classic. Uh, it's like court two, but it's like there's bleachers. So the bleachers were packed. And I don't know what Bowden was doing, but I think he was up at the Heineken Lounge or something. No doubt. And yeah, of course he was. And um, <laughs> I saw him up there, but he was just looking through the cage, like mining his own. And I saw him up there because I'm like, I wander a lot when I when I play. Like I'm looking everywhere and... I saw him and I'm like, oh, this like I know that's Bowden Barrett. Like, you know, I'm 17 years old. I'm from Taranaki. Like, it, you know, you want to meet this guy, but I'm like, nah. Like, I'm meant to be training with John Isner at the same time, and he's got like his coach and his agent, and the agents looking at signing me, and I've got all this happening, and I just like they're talking, and I just look up. I'm like, oh my god, it's Bowden Barrett, and I'm like yelling out at him, and he's like, look, he's like, oh my god, who is this kid? And I'm like. Come down here, and I got him down, and he came down, and um, you know, I talked to him for a bit, and then I just started pestering him all the time to help me and stuff, and he was just the kindest of guys, and he just helped me out heaps, and like before I play matches, I'd be nervous, and he'd send me a paragraph on stuff to work on, and 
all those guys, man, they're not like, now you realize it's actually not that they're good athletes. They're just good people. They're like, they just want me to do well for me, being me, not me to be a good tennis player. They just want me to be happy. And all these guys, like, as well, I don't really see too much of the rugby and stuff anymore because overseas the time difference and stuff. But, you know, they, I just want the, those guys are just good people and I just want them to be happy, honestly. So I probably, I've apologized to them a couple times about how my behavior was during that period. But, um, yeah, shoot a shoot, mate. Right. He is a lad, and yeah, he is. Yeah, awesome, yeah. Awesome to hear. He's keen to help out, but does not surprise me. Okay, next thing: Is it true they call you the sailor, new girl at every port? Sikorefe. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I'm allergic to water. So pass. I'm a focused man. I'm dialed in on the tennis. I'm dialed in. You don't have time for that. You know, focus, focus. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, uh, but he's all wifed up. I don't know. He's all wifed up, so he's putting all this external nonsense onto other people. <laughs> it's actually pretty funny. Jealous. Yeah, he's just jealous, man. He, want, he wants to be me. <laughs> Doofy. How good. He's a good fella also. He's a good, he's oh, a yeah, good fella. Mate, he wears, that man, man, that man wears his, wears his heart on his sleeve. He wears his heart on his sleeve. He's a, he's a good, he's all from the necky. I mean. Oh, there's something about it up there, eh? It's how we are. For sure. Okay, next one. Toughest thing about pro tennis? I would say dealing with you get 10% high for a 90% low. Like mm. you might get highs a couple times during the year, but you deal with a lot of lows. And I probably didn't deal with that that well last year, but now I'm starting to understand that every time there's a low, there's a chance to grow and there's a chance to improve as you know cheesy as that sounds. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I think that's the hardest thing. It's consistency and being alone and just how tough it is, you know, the highs and the lows. But you get to travel the world and see some incredible places and incredible people and incredible girls. And um, <laughs> I think that's um, I think that's all all part of it. So you just got to look at the positives. But it, I think that's the toughest part is the ten percent, you know, ten percent highs for the ninety percent lows. The sailor, I love that from you. Okay, next one. <laughs> Who's your dream oh, well. golf foursome? My dream golf foursome. Um, dream golf foursome. I would say, who can I come up with that's not like that would just have unreal chat on the golf course? Michael Jordan, man. Oh, Michael Jordan, yeah. Michael Jordan, uh, Rafael Nadal. Oh yeah, nice. Um, Lance Armstrong, because I want to know if Nadal's juicing, and I think he would know. Um, and then, of course, Tiger Woods. Man, that oh. guy, like Tiger Woods. I mean, what a foursome there. He was a sailor. Yeah, he was a sailor, mate. He was a sailor. <laughs> he played in a lot of foursomes, didn't he? He, <laughs> he Donald Trump, maybe actually. What? Just someone Jeez. just real controversial. I just want to like, yeah. you don't want to play with like, Do the pop. you don't want to play with just like four boring people, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, nah. Yeah, that's probably my favorite golfing foursome, I'd say. Have you come across Rafael Nadal much? When I was younger, I did. Um, but not, re I mean, though he's been at the top of the Grand Slams and injured and whatnot, but um i got actually invited to train with him um at the nadal academy um but happened to uh have to come home due to covid lockdowns so and isolation so oh, cheers gotcha. cheers for that gotcha. um but yeah um yeah those guys man they're just different level like you watch them and it's like their highest levels here and their lowest levels here and that's the difference is that you know, yeah. other guys could be highest levels there, but then their lowest levels here. So they just beat you here every time. Mm. They just... So I mean, how many times can you say you've seen Djokovic play horrendous or bad? You just can't... You, he doesn't. Mm. You know, he just doesn't. Your other guys might play well, but he never plays bad. Oh, interesting. Who is the best tennis player of all time? That one's here too. Best tennis player of all time. See, this is a tough one, but I... I don't like, I, I personally don't, I respect 
Djokovic a lot, but I don't, I, I necessarily don't, you know, like the way he is, I guess, is some of the things he does. But I would say Djokovic. I mean, on stats, you have to. You have to say Djokovic. Like, people say Federer, people say Nadal, but Djokovic beats every single stat. So it's not a popularity contest. It's who's the greatest tennis player of all time, and I think it is Djokovic. Oh, huge. Who do you think? Who do you think? Oh, I'm going to go with you, Djokovic. You, you have on stats. You have you have to, eh? <laughs> good call, good call. I'll come back. No, honestly, I don't know the stats, and I would have been leaning towards like a Federer, probably. But um, yeah, yeah, he's the billboard of tennis. He's the billboard of tennis. Federer is the billboard of tennis. Like when you think of a perfect tennis player, perfect gentleman, elegant tennis mm. player, sponsored by Nike, all of that stuff. You think of Federer. I mean. He's sponsored by Nike, Mercedes, and Rolex. I mean, how can you hate him? Come on. How can you hate him? Like, I would still go for a G-Shock any day of the week. But, I mean, you just can't hate the guy. So, but then Djokovic on stats has just beaten all those guys more times. He's, you know, Nadal has got more Grand Slams, though. So, you could go with him. Um, I go Ruben Statham. There you go. <laughs> oh, well, four of the greats anyway. Okay, next question. If you could get a video shout-out from any celebrity, who would it be and why? This question's come from our major sponsor, Swish. Man, I just, I don't know. I, I think, like, Michael Jordan, man. Yeah, I thought it would be one of your golf golfing buddies. Yeah, Michael Kanye. Jordan or Kanye. Oh, I reckon Kanye, Kanye would be sick. <laughs> that, and I've got a Yeezy for President shirt that I'd wear. Oh, to respond to his <laughs> video he sends me that he won't reply to. But I reckon that would be incredible. Like uh, Kanye or Michael Jordan would be sick. Like that. Like yeah. those options. Yeah. Yeah. What are your hobbies outside tennis? Um, golf. Um, I love golf. Like I play uh, with – I have a group of mates. I play with like um, uh, back home and I go out with them. Um, so go play golf all, all the time. What's your handicap? I'm playing off like a nine, but that's because I enter good scorecards. So I don't know what. Every time I have like four bad holes, I ditch the scorecard. So um, that's not an honest score. But I can play all right. It's just I come back with a slice or a hook every time, so I have to manage it. Mm. So nothing come, I'm not consistent. No, you're not a Djokovic. No, nah, I'm not a Djokovic on the golf course. <laughs> Big highs sure. and massive lows. Um, I mean, Geordie, is an, he's a ridiculous golfer. Incredible. Um, he's a freak. Like... He, uh, yeah, um, he's a gun. But like guys like that, I don't know. I mean, they just talented. They can just do it. Whereas me, I play with a group of uh, four of my mates or three of my mates back home and we're just hackers. We just go out and have fun and it's banter, you know. Like mm. um, there's one of my mates, Cole Harab. He's probably the most horrendous golfer of all time. Like the most terrible swing and somehow I lose to him sometimes. So... I mean, that's it's just banter on the course, and it's just good fun to get out and be out with your mates, and you know, have some fun. Mm. And Fortnite. Fortnite. Oh. Yeah. There's my because when I'm when I'm traveling, I just take my Xbox and I can just plug it in and still play with my mates. So yeah, mm. Fortnite. Nice. Okay, two more to go. Um, I I want to know about the party scene of tennis is there do they have after parties after a tournament what's the what's the nightlife like after a um, tennis tournament or do they all just go to their room and focus on the next tournament absolutely not i don't think people realize like they see tennis players focus and stuff but there's a build-up of like steam that needs to be let off there and there's i mean parties girls i mean that's that's just how it is it's just like normally what happens is if you lose in the quarterfinals you find the other three losers from that day and you guys just have like a you go out with the losers and um or if you win the tournament you know it also depends like normally it's at the end of a tour because you don't want to do like party during the week and stuff like that um or during another tournament you only got two days to the next one yeah um so you know i you gotta you gotta pick your battles um but tennis players, they're loose units, bunch of weird loose <laughs> units. So, um, yeah, it's it's probably not the consistency of some other athletes or some other sports of yeah. where it's like every weekend type of stuff. Um, but when they go out, 
They, I mean, you're losing a tournament. You're in Mexico. You're not going to go to your hotel room. Yeah. Like you're in Barcelona. You lose. What are you going to do? Yeah, right. I'm not going to my room. Like, <laughs> you know, it's you're going to go experience and have some fun and let, let you know live a little. So yeah. like we lost and oh, when we won in Vegas, that was a pretty cool night. Um, we had Davis Cup in Vegas and I hadn't seen the strip the whole week because we'd been like dialed in and you know we'd been at the courts and stuff like that and training then after we won i mean the coaches don't want to know us so they're just like see you later like have the team dinner and you're off so i went out and i was so gutted i didn't see the strip so by about 2 a.m i was just running through vegas with my phone taking photos of everything i could find yeah and then the next morning i'm like felt like i kind of lived the strip a little bit <laughs> so that was kind of cool but um i actually met up with like uh ufc fighters there was this guy kevin holland oh yeah and um ended up like with him and ufc fighters and stuff and um i was pretty fun vegas is vegas is but a week was too long i wouldn't <laughs> want to play davis cup there again <laughs> but if you're not playing davis cup you're in charge of your own rules there you can go out when you want you don't have like a manager or something like a rugby team where you've got curfews and things like that it's all on you yeah exactly and you don't have to i mean tennis exactly it's on you you have but You've also got sponsors that yeah. <laughs> expect results and yeah. you've got to hit targets. And if you don't hit targets, you don't get that sponsor anymore. So it's like, it's also a bit tough in that sense where, you know, you're kind of the captain of your own ship, mm. but there's people paying for that ship. So you've got to <laughs> have the respect for them that, you know, you pick and choose when you want to go out and do stuff and party and stuff. But at the end of the day, we're professionals and we're here to play a sport and here to win tennis matches. Um, but you also, you can't spend the whole year just dialing into tennis every single day. You've got to have, you know, time when you relax and let loose a little bit. But mm. that's maybe four or five days off the year. Yeah. So anyone who's listening, I don't want you thinking that we just go out every single weekend because nah. we do not. <laughs> it is not like go, that. Go hard yeah, exactly. Five days sounds like good stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Last question. Ask every guest this one. Best piece of advice you have for a Waterland listener? Uh, when you're playing any sport the best piece of advice i've ever had is like when you're playing a sport always try to do the right things because win or lose you come off the field or court improving and i think that's probably the best piece of advice because if you think about it if you you know throw your toys out of the car don't focus on what you need to do and have a bad day everyone's going to have bad days but you don't try to get the best out of that bad day mm. you might come off losing and having a terrible you know time as well like you don't improve yeah so i think that's it is trying to focus on the process and trying to improve love it i knew you'd have a good piece of advice my so inspirational game, man my tennis game's gonna develop very quickly yeah you'll see it see step. at the classic see at the classic in january <laughs> oh if i could move my hips still buggered but if maybe i could play doubles half the court <laughs> yeah let's do it i think maybe mike venus is looking for a new partner is he? Oh. Send him a message. Get him, get him, get him on the potty. Send him a message. <laughs> oh, mate. Well, it's been a pleasure um, having a yarn with you, mate. Um, hell of a lad. Awesome journey. Awesome to get an insight into life as a tennis player and hear how weird some of these characters are. And um, really looking forward to following your career and your, what, you, what your pathway holds over the next few years and um, seeing you become world number one. Appreciate it, mate. Go well. Thanks for having me. You're a lad.